This is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is September the 16th, 2020. This is episode 2732 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Wednesday. It's time for interview day. i got a really cool one for you today. Uh, Jason Van Gumster is going to be with us. Who's he? What's he all about? He's going to talk to us about open source software. And this is one of those interviews where I, I got the guest request and went, ah, maybe, I don't know. And I read it and said, that's pretty well put together, your proposal. And then after doing it, I'm like, that was a really good idea to do that interview. I think you guys will learn a lot from this. And I think even if you're the kind of person like, I'm not real technical, Jack. I know a lot of y'all think I am because I'll throw some words around and stuff once in a while. I'm not. That's why I have people to do things for me. But I think you're going to find out today that this is a topic for everybody, and it is one of the steps toward freedom that we talk about all the time that you can take for yourself by, by, by severing yourself from oligarchs. If you think about it, the people that run Microsoft, for instance, just as one example, are not your friend. They're not your friend, and they're all our alternatives. Before we get Jason on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is uh, ButcherBox.com. How much do I love ButcherBox? They don't give me money. Yep, I have a sponsor who doesn't give me money. They give me product. Every month, a giant box of meat appears at my house and makes me very, very happy because I like getting a giant box of meat in the mail. You can get your own giant box of meat, and since you don't have the Survival Podcast as uh, your primary business, if you want it, you'll have to give them money. But I think you'll find that it's well worth the money for the exchange. It's like having your own personal shopper, picking out the very best pastured poultry, pastured pork, and grass-fed beef you will find. You can learn more at ButcherBox.com. Remember, they also do a discount for members of the MSB. And at this point, with ButcherBox, that's the only way you're getting a discount. They have, they have, they have, you know, they built their company from the ground up. We were a part of them doing that. They came to us when they were nobody, and nobody had ever heard of them. You know, they're a major brand now, advertised on major network television, and they've stuck by the people to help them get there. And they still give us our discount. And they still take extra care of our people. That's rare. When a company makes it like that, they usually end up forgetting how they got where they are. Not ButcherBox. So. If you, if you value this show, there's somebody you pr probably should be doing business with because I bet you you're eating meat all the time. Next up today, Backwoods Home. I've worked with Backwoods Home since almost since the show started. It, it's been a long time, but my, my experience with Backwoods Home goes back to 1993 when I got out of the Army. Backwoods Home magazine was the first magazine I ever subscribed to as a grown-ass adult that lived on his own. And I've been reading them ever since, so it's really easy to recommend that you consider subscribing. Check them out today at BackwoodsHome.com. And with that, let's get off into it. I'm going to save my, uh, my quote of the day for you to the end, because my quote of the day goes along with the song of the day. So with that, let's get on into talking about open source software and other open source tools and how it can make your life just a little bit better. And with that, hey, Jason, man. Welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, hi. Hey, man. <laughs> glad, to, glad to have you on with us today. We're going to be talking about open source software, right, and uh, the role that plays in privacy and a lot of other things. Before we do that, though, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, how did you come to where you are in life right now, you know, from high school? Like, what, what's the backstory behind Jason? <laughs> Uh, the backstory on Jason, but I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really, um, I have, I have two major loves. It's, it's making things and breaking things. That's, okay. that's sort of what I'm, what I'm primarily interested in. It's always been sort of a, a running theme for me. And so, um, yeah, I got out of, I did, did the high school thing, did the schooling thing, grew up as a military brat. So we floated all over and, and that sort of thing. And, um, come college time, I, I couldn't decide between wanting to be um, on the creative side of things or be more on the technical engineering track, as it were. So I, I didn't decide, and I ended up getting um, two two bachelor's degrees, one in one in uh, 
animation and video and sound design sort of stuff, and then the other in computer engineering. Because in both of those, those are the fields where I have the most ability to do more things. If you're doing animation, you can do it. You can do sculpture. You can do drawing. You can do uh, computer work. If you're doing computer engineering, you can work with chemistry if you want to. You can work in a fab if you want to. You can work with uh, robotics and they give you a broad spectrum of stuff to do. And as I was going through that, um, I I sort of because of the engineering side predominantly, I got really introduced to um, open source software. I'd always sort of messed around with computers for a long time and 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 worked with them and sort of push them as far as I could go. But at that point in time, I mean, oh, this is dating me a little bit, but at that point in time was Windows 95. Oh, horrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it was, it was, it was around that course in time. And I, I sort of, I wanted to customize it. I wanted to make this, the, the environment that I was working in customized to me. I wanted to make it something that I could play with and I could, I could make it work the way I wanted it to work. And, and I sort of pushed Windows as far as it would let me go because there started I started making changes that you you really needed much more lower low level access to and I didn't have that so I started playing with uh with I heard about this thing called Linux which is an open source operating system and still very prominent and um got a a, a disk an old disk of uh of Red Hat uh before they did the whole enterprise thing and so they they have a um this was like Red Hat five, I think. Whatever it was, the installation, you could do localization, so you could change whatever language you wanted. And uh I they, one of the options was Redneck because Red Hat was founded in North Carolina. So they were making themselves funny about that one, I guess. And in any case, I, I installed that and sort of that took me down the road to like being able to really, really modify and change the computer and, and really really sort of hone the tools that I could use to make and break and do all sorts of cool things with it. And on the art side of things, they, the the art schools, I mean, they're very, very entrenched with a lot of the, the, the closed source software uh, workflow. So, you know, Adobe and Autodesk kind of rule the world there. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want to – I got burned early with that basically is, is, is what it comes down to is I had uh, stuff that I had made and the files wouldn't open in uh in earlier versions of the program i worked on it and then i the, you know the program gets upgraded file format changes and all of a sudden i'm in a lurch because i don't have access to the old version of the program and i don't have uh in the new version they just decided they're they're not going to support it or the company goes um uh goes out of business and and those sort of things and that that really got me to see that okay this this open source thing that i've been doing on the engineer side that that has some real like serious implications on what i can do and what what i'll be permitted or permitting myself to do um going down the road because because if i'm if i'm working on a project i don't i don't want to be bound to to someone else's um control from that i want again with just like i want to have control over my tools i kind of want to have control over the thing that i make too Got you, man. So we're talking about technology today, and I'm sure there's people out there. Oh, the hell is this have to do with anything? You know, survival podcast. The world's going all pear shaped and blah blah, and then your damn Linux and whatever you know, Red Hat blah blah type Boomhauer thing. You know uh, what? <laughs> what does this all have to do? And what's it worth? As we have all these problems in the world today. Well, uh, from from what I've I've. I've been listening to your show for, oh, when? Oh, just over a year now, I guess. And one of the things that I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly right. But one of the things that, that I've heard you say or at least say the, uh, a couple times is that, you know, the, the, every crisis is a personal crisis, right? And so you're, and you're much more likely to have your own world get turned upside down than the entire world getting turned upside down, COVID craziness notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, and so technology is a part of our lives and whether we like it or not, and will continue to be a part of our lives, whether we like it or not. That's going to, you know, if, if things go sideways, technology is also going to be one of the things that helps us get things straight. And so you want to be able to know how to have access to it and how to have control of it. And so, you know, again, if, if, if the world does go pear shaped, like in the entirety of it, even if that happens and, you know, we can, we can at least rebuild on some level, the foundation of that's going to be on something like open source because, that's what's going to exist um, after everything because no one else is controlling it. Can you kind of explain what open source software really is? I think a lot of people think it's just like some jaboni pro program people give away for free where you kill bin Laden and get a virus or something like that. <laughs> but remember that? Kill bin Laden, you shot his arms off and all, and it was like a huge 
popular thing after that. And it was like this massive virus spreading video game. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it really yeah. isn't. I mean, some of the most substantial websites out there today run on open source software. I mean, WordPress is an open source software and probably runs more websites than, than any other software on the market. So, I mean, what exactly is open source software for people that maybe just aren't even real familiar with the idea? So, yeah, the, 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 the easiest way to explain it is it's when somebody makes a thing, in this case it's going to be software, but it, I mean, open source has, has a little bit broader um, reach than just software, but in the software side of things, you know, somebody makes a thing and decides to share that thing and the way it was made with anyone else that they want. That's, that's the basis of it, right? So, um, a simple analogy would be like a recipe, right? I, I know how to make something. I, I make this for somebody else. I'm like, oh, can you share the recipe with me? I mean, that's 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 open source cooking, right? That's that's the way that that works. And the way the software ecosystem works is is very similar, right? You 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 don't sort of keep that behind a, a, a lock and key in a closed door. It's it's very implicitly. I made a thing. Here's how I made it. By the way, if anybody else wants to make it better or help me make it, come on and join the ride. And I mean, the the ecosystem of <clears throat> The ecosystem of open source software has really matured over the years and to the point that basically it can be, it's the default choice for a lot of things when it comes to technology. Like you mentioned WordPress, it's the number one website building platform. Um, not only is it open source, but there are, there are uh, tons and tons of businesses built around this open source tool and the stuff that they make in some, on some degree is implicitly open source as well. Uh, Linux, the, is, is, I mentioned it before, but that's an operating system and that's the background, basically the backbone of the internet. Everything basically runs out. Even, even Microsoft is running that on their cloud platforms now. Um, and the bulk of all high performance computing and Bitcoin, but, but uh, Bitcoin? No, that's different. Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start that one tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Bitcoin, 3D printing. I mean, the whole, the whole maker movement, if you, if you will, all of that is, is powered and facilitated by open source and open source tools. Um, and so then just about anything that can be done with a computer can, and I would argue should be done with open source tools first. And again, my, my focus tends to be with, with the creative side of it and in making, um, art or, or producing things, uh, on that level. But I mean, every part of, every part of the computer that you can use basically can be using open source software. Got you, man. So, um, but I think a lot of people would say, you know, what's the matter with the, you know, and people don't even use the term, but closed sourced programs because everyone uses them, right? So everyone, you mentioned things like, uh, I think you said, not Dreamweaver, but uh, one of the graphics programs that everybody uses, you know? Right. So if, if there's something that everybody in an industry uses, is there probably a reason for it? I mean, do we really need to be going out and using these um, maybe not as well supported uh, platforms? Well, I mean, it's there. There, there is the such thing as sort of a de, a de facto standard, um, and that and Adobe for for a lot for for a thing for for a thing for a large piece of that. Adobe they do Photoshop. Photoshop every you know Photoshop is now a verb, not just like Google is. Sure. And so it, it's it's pervasive and it's and it's true. But and and I wouldn't say that there's there's anything inherently wrong with closed source. It's it's one of those things that. If you use it, I, I would say use it with your eyes open, right? Because the problem is that Adobe right now, for instance, and a lot of these closed source applications, some people you also will say proprietary, um, where I guess everyone else just might say the normal software, but I, I like to call it proprietary or closed source. In any case, they, they're, they're, everything's leaning on the subscription model of things, right? So you could be using a, an Autodesk or an Adobe product, and if you don't renew your subscription, with so f with a few exceptions, nothing else will open those files. You know, Adobe, one of the biggest ones that, that you see is in page layout for print, uh, InDesign, which is used all over the place for book layouts, catalogs, um, all, all sorts of things like that. If that, if, if you don't renew your subscription, the file that you use, the, the source to your art, as it were, is no longer accessible. You, there's nothing else that will open it. Um, we used to run into this way back in the day with with, with Microsoft Word. Uh, Microsoft Word would have incompatibilities with itself over the cor course of years, and you know this this that's that's I don't want to have my work in control of somebody else, and so that's that's the biggest thing. But as things get 
more and more distributed as well. And you have these subscription models. You have these web-based systems. You know, you have the, the cloud-based systems, right? Google Docs would be a great example of that kind of thing. And there are a lot of things going down that road. The problem is that um, there's, there's a phrase. I didn't come up with it, but I think it's brilliant. But when it comes to cloud computing and doing your stuff on the cloud, it, it's helpful to remember that there there is no cloud. It's just other people's computers. You're basically um, sharecropping your, your your digital space. And so you have to sort of, again, you want to go into it with an open mind. And so there's, there's notions of, of your privacy, right? Now there's all that your stuff that you're doing is on a network and can be, and may often will be tracked. And do you want that to be done? I mean, granted, if you're just doodling around and doing that sort of thing, maybe that's not such a big deal, but maybe if you're working on something that, that has some level of security, maybe you don't want to share that sort of stuff. And it's really your own prerogative. It doesn't matter what you do. You want, you want to have that privacy on, at least the option to, to have a level of privacy. The other thing is is the notion of a of a a right to prepare a right to repair. And this goes not just with software but hardware and and those sort of things. So if if something is broken, um say with a program or with a piece of gear or any of that sort of thing, and I have the know-how or I can pay somebody with the know-how to fix it. Open source gives me the ability to do that without having to ask for permission or pay a licensing fee or do anything crazy like that. I, I have the source. I have the, the tools to do it. Um, I can use my knowledge and ability or someone else's knowledge and ability that I pay to fix these problems without having to go through um, any other sort of gatekeeper, which is, which is really, really important. Um, you've seen this. This gets argued with like um, John Deere actually ran into this. Uh, this I think it's a court – thing that's still going on where you know people who are doing large-scale farming and whatnot they, they buy a tractor they they actually are not allowed by by their licensing to repair their own machinery yeah and that's that that's uh that's not cool i mean if, if it, it's not it's not a great way of doing that so being able to repair those sort of things and, and own your own data it's it's really about that sort of um not self-serving but um self-sustaining and self-sufficient mindset and being able to to really take advantage of that and not really have anybody stopping you from doing what you're you, you're able to do how, how does this help the person out that's not extremely technical not a programmer i mean if they have access to the source code and they don't know how to do code so what I, it makes me think of a lot of times my web guys when we're discussing getting something done they'll write this freaking dissertation of technical mumbo jumbo garbage and send it to me and i'm like I just need you to tell me what to do because if I understood all this bullshit, I wouldn't have you doing this for me. So, <laughs> so how does how does like you know using something you have access to source code with help me out if I'm not going to be playing around with source code? Right. Well, the this goes. I think this goes a lot to to being distributed, right? Being being not non centralized is a better way of putting it, right? If you have if you have a, one company maintaining all the source code to everything, then you have to go through them to make changes, fixes, or maybe make the, the program or do, or whatever it is, do something that maybe it wasn't perhaps designed to do, but would do if you, if you just, would do well if you just had the ability to, to push it in that direction, um, or had the ability to get someone to do that for you. It's, it's the same sort of thing going back to the, the cooking recipe. I'm not, you know, say I'm not a cook, but what's a good, what good is a recipe? Well, that's that that's a much easier argument right mm -hmm. it's the same kind of mindset i'm not an architect but you know how does having blueprints help me well if you can put something in your wall you kind of want to know where the electrical wire is so you don't drill and electrocute yourself um turn off your power first but you know same idea <laughs> um so it, it's it allows you to make those small changes and and then it's one of those things where i don't really believe in the notion of non-technical people right mm -hmm. everybody has a capability, I think, of, of being technical on some level. And you don't have to know all of the, the, the crazy mumbo-jumbo and whatever. If you can just figure out that one thing, you can just change that one thing. You have the ability to do it. Um, open source is what gives you that, that, that route. And again, the, the sort of side on that is if, even if you don't want to do it, like with your web guys, then you can pay someone to do it. You don't have to pay somebody a central source to take care of that for you. You can, you can pick who you want and you have a lot more freedom that way. Well, you also have the ability for some of that stuff to happen, right? Because like if you're using something that's closed source that has limitations on what can be done, you can pay anybody you want and they're like, I can't do it. But exactly. when you use something that's open source, they can't. Or 
you don't think of yourself as being technical, but what if the open source nature of the thing makes what would be highly technical very easy? So, for instance, we go back to WordPress, because I think when people hear software, they tend to think of something that runs on their computer, you know, in their hard drive that they can put their hands on. We don't tend to think of a distributed or cloud-based uh, component as software, but everything everywhere is running on some sort of software. So with WordPress, let's say that I wanted to make a website do something really cool, like kind of work like a micro version of Facebook. Well, I can be a complete non-technical dingbat, but if I can watch YouTube videos, push a couple buttons, I can install BuddyPress and I can configure that. Now, I, I personally know about enough PHP to break shit, but... <laughs> Right, I, and and all of this stuff, all this stuff is written on these plugins is in PHP, so I can look at it. But even if I didn't know, you know, how to look at it and understand it, I'm never going to write the base code for something like BuddyPress. But I can still use it, right? So like, there is a, a component to this that's about if it makes easy for other people to build a product to plug into it, which is exactly what WordPress does. That gives me access to all of this technology and. You know, 15 years ago, if I said I want a website that does blah, 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 well, I'm into it for 30 grand and it probably won't work. Today, Or you whatever, have to pay somebody to maintain it. Yeah, and then I've got to pay somebody to maintain it, and if it, something changes, like with, with WordPress, whatever you fill that blah, blah, blah blank in with, there's probably a plugin that does it. And if it does it almost to the way that you want it, but not quite, then there's about 500 million people, literally, that know PHP and MySQL that can fix that last little piece of it. Absolutely. And, I mean, the other thing to think about is that things like BuddyPress, things like those plugins, they wouldn't even exist with without WordPress. You can have you can have like an open API so it, it can talk, and I'm getting a little jargony there, mm -hmm. but um, you, you could do – there would be – there have been models in the past of things like WordPress where – where they they were closed source and you they still had plugins but sort of access to it was still very finely gated. You know, WordPress itself was designed as a blogging platform. It was never meant. It was never originally designed to be this massive like all encompassing website behemoth that it is now. But because it's open source and because people said you know I can make it do this and I can make it do that, all of these things got added to it and they got added to it in an elegant way so that it could be extended even further. And I don't, without being open source, you wouldn't have that whole ecosystem at all. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the other thing that happens is, because of that nature, Joe Blow makes a plug-in for WordPress, and Bill Blow looks at it and goes, this sucks, it should have done these other things. Get on with it, Bill. Right? And then Bill can yep. actually make it better instead of just sitting around and bitching about it. That, and that's that's one of the the best things. That's one of the also one of the rules of the internet, I believe. If mm -hmm. you want something done right, do it wrong, yeah. and somebody will correct you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how is being a user of open source tools different from being a closed uh, source user experience? Like, what exactly am I getting myself involved in? What am I getting into? How do I get support? All that stuff. Right. Well, you can. You can treat it on some level, depending on how the project is set up. You can treat it the same way that you treat any other software. Download it and use it, and then if you have a problem, complain to somebody. Um, that complaining to somebody part is where things tend to differ a little bit. Sometimes you'll have a central customer that will offer support because, again, open source is given away for free. Um, anybody can download it and play with it. So the way that, that, that companies tend to monetize that tends to be on the support side. Um, Red Hat, I mentioned them before, they're, they're a what, a billion dollar company now, they sell, they don't sell any open source. They distribute open source software, but they sell support. They, they do that sort of thing. Um, and so, but what I'm getting at is when on these smaller projects, if you start dealing, dealing with them, it, it, it tends to vary a little bit with, with that, that support side of things. And so one of the things I like to say is that by, by using software, you're already using free software. You're already sort of participating with the development of that software. Most free software packages, most open source software packages, um, they don't have like a dedicated QA or quality control sort of uh, setup. That's, that's basically us. And so if you run into a problem, it's, it's, I would say it's imperative. It's almost, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's an obligation, but it, it's, um, sort of a good stewardship, good, 
being a good member of, of that that development community to to report that as a bug and let let the developers know. And one of the really cool things about that though is that the the barrier to communication between somebody who writes software and somebody who uses it is is it evaporates. It's gone for the most part. You can actually get on a chat session or a, a Telegram or you know, whatever sort of conversation with them and literally talk directly to the person that wrote the part that you think is broken. And they can tell you either why they think it's designed that way or why it's not. I've had situations where I have um, been, I've been working on a program, working on, on a piece of art or whatever, and the program doesn't do something that I think it ought to do. I'll jump onto a, a, a chat channel where I know the developers are at and I'll say, Hey, this, this doesn't do what I think to do. Either I'm an idiot or it's broken. And they're like, Oh no, it's broken here. I just fixed it. Go download the latest thing and go have fun. Mm. And that, that, that whole scenario takes, I mean, it's not, not the way it always works, but in that case it took 10 minutes mm. and I was able to talk to the, the, the developer of it. And the really cool thing is that because the barrier to developing is so low, um, a lot of the people who, especially on the art side of things, a lot of the people who do the development are actually users themselves. They're not just sort of making a product for other people to, to yeah. sell or anything. Yeah. They are scratching their own itches, right? I want this thing in the world, and so I made it. And so I know what the problems are, and I'm trying my best to solve those problems. And they have a lot of pride, actually, for the thing that they made. So – they are people you want to show some level of tact, but they also have a personal interest in making it the best thing that it can be. Um, and so that's, that's, I think some of the, it, there's, there is, it, it's, I would almost say it's a trade off between, you know, I have this company that I've paid money that I can pay them more money to yell at them when things go wrong and maybe they'll fix it if they decide to, <laughs> or, or you have, you know, this developer over here and she has made this really cool thing and you've asked her to say, Hey, um, it doesn't work quite the way I want. Could you, could you, could you code me a fix or, um, or do that sort of thing? I'll buy you a cup of coffee and sometimes that actually works. So, um, when we look at this, is open source just about software or does it, you know, kind of extend to some other things? Um, I, I, I like to think and, and it's an approach that fits in a lot of, lot of realms and because it's become the fundamental core for for so much of of technology and so much of our world is built on technology a lot of the same mindset that's used in open source can be extended elsewhere so you know the the um so the the the, the weird thing a little bit i guess is that that open source there is a little bit of infighting in terms of you know which when you have a term for a thing everybody starts to fight a little bit about what that term means um and you'll you'll if you start getting involved in this, you start seeing people talk about free software versus open source software, and there's a, there's a whole there's a whole big sort of weird philosophical political infighting going in there. But at the core of it, the the whole notion of make a thing, share how you made it, let people help you improve it, that that seems pretty universal to me. You can use that in all sorts of things, um, not just software. I use it for for a fair amount, and even. Like the podcast that I record, I've released that under a Creative Commons license, which is the same sort of open source licensing and mindset as applied to creative things that you produce. I created a thing. If you want to make a derivative of it, just give me credit, right? Sure. Um, those sort of things work there. And there are, there are even sort of wilder uh, approaches to that. There's a, there's an organization called, um, I talked to the, the, actually, I think you interviewed him a few years back as well, um, with open source ecology. And it's not, so much ecology as it is sort of this, this, this notion of, a, of an open framework for, for building machines. It's to, kind of in to, a way it's open source hardware, but it's not hardware in the way that we generally think about it in computer network hardware. It's, it's, it's hardware in the real world. It's, it's how do I make this thing that makes bricks or how do I make this thing that's a tractor and do it in a way where anybody anywhere with basic tools and understanding and welding capability, maybe a lathe, can make it too. Yeah, the whole making things to make things. Uh, I'm a I'm a big big fan of that whole concept, um, where where you can release the the artwork that you make, or you can release the tools that you use, or you can use tools to make tools and release those. Like there's there's this whole weird meta context you can throw on it, and but it's it's really um, I think I think it's really a, a big part of 
building, you know, smaller communities that are decentralized that don't have a, a, a block of control over it that you can also, um, exercise your own, um, level of control in terms of what you want in terms of privacy, what you want in terms of, um, being able to fix and repair things. And I think, I think that's the sort of the universal theme there. Gotcha. So let's give people some examples of tools that you use, things that they can download, things that they can use. Um, what are some open source tools you use on a regular basis? Well, the, the good news is that most of the, a lot of the stuff that people are already using already have open source under the hood. Um, the whole Internet of Things, which oftentimes people refer to as Internet as targets because network security things, but a lot of those, they're, they're running Linux as an operating system. You're, you're, if you're running an Android phone, the, the core of that, for the time being, is a Linux kernel. Um, but in, for me, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, my focus is creative stuff. So if you're interested in doing uh, digital painting, for instance, there's a program called Krita, K-R-I-T-A, which is a really, really powerful um, image manipulation and painting tool. There's a program called GIMP, which is the GNU Image Manipulation Program, uh, which is basically um, an open source corollary. I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's a replacement, but it's a corollary to, to Photoshop. Photoshop has become sort of this behemoth that does a lot of things. Again, it, was, it wasn't originally designed to, but that's for other reasons. Um, one of my, my closest loves is this program called Blender, which I refer to as a um, computer graphics Swiss Army chainsaw. Basically, anything that you want to do with computer graphics, Blender can do from 3D modeling, setting up for 3D printing, animation, uh, even 2D art, uh, all, all of those attributes of it, and, and people have actually shoehorned that to do everything from uh, from those basic stuff to uh, visualization for astrophysics or controlling a fleet of drones to do a, a pattern in the sky. They'll do all sorts of really, really – Blender, I, I could go for hours talking about Blender, so I'm going to stop before I go on. <laughs> um, Inkscape is a great tool for, for vector drawing. So you have, when it comes to computer graphics, you've got raster and vector. Um, usually what you see on from a camera, that's a raster image. That's going to be something that you can use GIMP or Photoshop for. If you're going to be drawing, doing working with curves and, and those sort of things, uh, Inkscape is, is going to make that. That would be the closest thing to that, I think, in the closed source world would be Illustrator. Um, from, from people who are doing podcasts and Audacity is actually is really popular. Most people probably already know what it is. Um, the cool thing is about most of these tools as well is that you don't actually have to run Linux to run them. They they tend to be platform agnostic. They can run uh, whether you're running Linux or Windows or Mac or. Uh, Here's an example. So I I use Audacity. Um, I run it on MacBooks. I run it on Windows machines. It, it runs on both. Uh, the first time I ever tried to render out of it onto a Mac, I used a lot of curse words, so I finally got it to work. But <laughs> it works. It can be done. Um, and I guess it can, doesn't have to be all or, or nothing. So back when I still had you know, a J-O-B and we were doing a lot of video work and all, I uh, chose Sony Vegas back then as my video editing software suite. And I still use it today to edit podcasts. And I use, like, it's actually two two generations out because – you can render an MP3 at 32 kilobits, which I think is – it's FM quality radio. So I think going above that for an audio podcast is just dumb. It just makes <laughs> your users have a bad experience. Um, but the reason I use it is mostly because I'm fast with it because I know how. So while I'm using an open source platform for recording, I find it lacking in its editing capability. And that's probably just because I – why would I play with it when I can – I'll be done. With, with the other one. So there's a lot of ways that open source tools can be used. And when I look at a recording program, for instance, for doing podcasts, mm -hmm. for recording myself, not really like an interview like this, I don't use Audacity for that. It is absolutely the case that it is probably the best tool that is available on the market and it's completely free. And I don't understand how Audacity supports it and makes any money. I really don't. Like, I understand how WordPress makes money. Right. I understand how I don't, uh, but I, but God bless them. Audacity makes the best recording software there is for podcasters. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and it's, it's, I, I'm not familiar with, with the, the members on that team, but that's one of those things where it's a, it's a project that if I recall right, it started again. Somebody wanted to scratch their own itch. They needed something to record audio and edit it. Yeah. And 
that a, a lot of these programs they, they don't make money. They're 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 well, volunteer and you know, with that one, right? So there's an update for that thing about once every three years. So right. it's it, it probably isn't like it takes a lot of effort to maintain it or whatever. And s- support for Audacity is YouTube.com, right? <laughs> I mean that's yeah. like if you want to know how to do something in Audacity, there's there's a 14 year old kid that by the time he's five minutes into his video, you're going just show me how to do. It. But that's support for it. So um, yeah, I, I I think that there's like some of that stuff maybe they don't need to make money, right? I mean. Right. They, they built something for themselves, and but they put it out there and said, hey, anybody want to make it better or have access to the base code, here it is. I also think one of the cool things about that is if you put out a piece of open source software that is got any real utility at all, that actually starts getting used by any number of people, then a whole bunch of like kind of white hat hackers are going to start picking it apart. And if somebody built some bullshit into it, you're going to know. Like, you don't know what kind of bull- – well, actually, we do know, but it's bad, but there's nothing you can do about it. There's some big bullshit built into, like, Windows now. Mm-hmm. When, and you know what I mean when I say bullshit. For those that don't, like, I'm talking about calling the mothership and telling on you, things like that, right? If somebody puts that into an open source tool, they're going to get hammered, right? And, and maybe they can if they disclose it, but if they try to hide that, they're going to get ripped to shreds because – there's people who, like, their only purpose in life is to to be that guy that finds some bullshit in somebody's open source stuff. Yep. I mean, there's there's a quote that's uh, with with many eyes, all bugs are shallow, right? So yeah. the more people that you can that, that can see – and you'll see some people, they used to – they don't make this argument as much anymore. But they used to make the argument of, well, it's open source. If it's got vulnerabilities, everybody's going to know. But everybody's going to know people who have pride in their work tend to fix it. And so yeah. those bugs get fixed and those vulnerabilities get, get taken care of with a quickness. Well, and they also tend to get found by, by good guys faster than bad guys. Right. 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 So, I mean, one of the things with that is, is being good about keeping shit updated because that's, that's where a lot of these vulnerabilities come from is people are using stuff that's, that's five generations old. And yeah, now the vulnerability is known by everybody, but I don't find it to be any different than closed source software. Like, right. once a vulnerability to Windows is known, it's known. If you don't update it, it gets exploited. It's true. And and it's also one of those things where if it's known, they may publicize when they fix it. And they may get around to fixing it, hmm. you know, at the next patch, which might be next week or next year. Yeah. Whereas you, you tend to have at least a little bit more transparency with the, the, the way the process works on the open source side of things. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I, I never sold software, but I sold hardware and test equipment and dealing with developers in a, in a large company. You know, when you're talking like a billion dollar company, it is, it is a nightmare to be, you know, going to your customer and you're selling them $800,000 worth of test equipment and they want a simple, reasonable, like it's not some stupid shit. They want a simple, reasonable feature added that really isn't that hard to do. But it'll take a year to get it done. Right. And, and that de- tends not to happen with open source because if the if the source doesn't do it, the original source, somebody in the community, if there's an opportunity there, will do it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the it's just again, it's one of those things where if 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 they're not giving you what you need, the person who was originally making that software, that that tool isn't giving you what you need, you've got the freedom to do it yourself. And I that there's I don't think there's anything greater than having that that ability i mean it's 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 almost feels feels some kind of morally wrong to not have that ability if i if i don't want to pass too much judgment there but it, it, i on a level a lot of levels i feel that way about how these tools work and and when i don't have the ability to um to take it and and make it do what i want um i i feel i feel shortchanged i feel like yeah. like somebody has taken something away from me yeah can you talk about maybe some of the common software that people use and what the corollaries are that could be open source? I mean, you know, everybody uses Word and, and, and spreadsheet programs. So what are yep. what are your options there? I would say the, the best option there is LibreOffice, um, L-I-B-R-E Office. The, it used to be that, that people would talk about OpenOffice, and there's a lot of mind share for, for that as a brand. Um, but – 
basically open or open office was made by by one company and was still open sourced and the problem is when when you have sort of the centralized company control they got bought by Oracle Oracle is not necessarily the biggest fan of open source things and so they they, <laughs> they didn't steward it very well yeah. but the cool thing is that because open office was always open source or because open office was open source um people who didn't like that purchase people who didn't like that that move happened they forked it. They took all of the open source, open office source code, took it over. Basically, they went, they took the ball and went home and they made LibreOffice, which has more features, uh, runs better and is more up to date than open office. And that, that's the way that that, that works. And it's a great tool. And again, that's the same, same sort of freedom. If, if you don't like it, you can go and, and, and make something better. And, you know, they can always reintegrate down the, down the road if they, ever, if they felt like it. But at this point, I think LibreOffice has really, really taken, uh, taken the, the lead in terms of what to do with, with um, those sort of packages. And email would be another thing. I know most people are going to be using your, your, your online email clients. And so that's, um, they're, if they're comfortable with having Google read all your email, that's, you're, you're fine with that. But if, if you have, email that's set up on, on your own, uh, host or whatever. Um, and you can still do it the sort of the old fashioned way with, with the pop protocols and IMAP and those sort of things. Thunderbird is, is still one of the very best ones you can play with. Um, actually for, for video and, and conferencing and those sort of things, um, you don't have to necessarily use Skype or zoom or, or those things as well. There's a, uh, there's a really cool application called Jitsi. Um, this is actually what I use to record all of my podcast episodes with, and it does video, it does audio. Uh, you can actually have it dump, uh, record and dump the vi- video either to uh, a Dropbox account of your choice, or you can send it over, stream it straight to YouTube. Um, you can also, you don't have to use their service because it's open source. You can host it yourself on your own servers, which I know a number of people do. Um, and it also, they also have levels of encryption in there that you can control. That's very um, interesting. That that sounds like something we're we're about to do a server upgrade for my site, and that might be worth looking at once we get that done. I don't want to do it before we upgrade the server. That's just one more thing to pull yeah, out yes. with, right? Yeah, uh, we're yeah. discovering everything that's that's sitting there. This legacy that's not used that we can kill before we move anything. Like let's <laughs> let's not bring anything we're not doing anything with with us, right? But right, yeah, that's right. a, that's a cool thing because I've been thinking about. Yeah, I, I still use uh, Call Recorder and Skype. That's what we're mm-hmm. on right now. And I think there is a lot of things with entrepreneurs and business people. Like, I'm not doing this for fun, right? This is my business. And right. so every minute that I spend trying to figure out how to use something new is a minute that I don't spend producing content to make money, right? Like, exactly. so there's always that trade off there, but there is a point where, like, you're, it, it's 2020, and I'm using the same solution that I used in, in 2010. It, it's probably time to start looking at some other options. Well, yeah, and I mean, considering the fact that Skype was its own independent company and was purchased by Microsoft, and Microsoft could decide. I mean, they they have decided to at this point they decided that they actually like open source, but yeah. they they control Skype. If they decide that they long, I mean, they, if they decide to pull a Google and, and stop developing it because that's Google's track record. Yeah. Um, then, then you're in a lurch and you got to find another tool. And then you're, 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 you're stuck with this, this level of vendor lock-in when you have, um, there's, there is a, I would say a, a upfront mental cost of yeah. going to a different platform when, it, when you, and this, that doesn't matter if it's closed source or open source, right? You have to sort of be willing to learn something new and spend, invest the time to do it. But sort of the, the, Return on that investment of time, I think, does pay off in, on the number, the amount of freedom you have. Yeah, I would agree with that uh, a great deal. Um, how can people like find? Like, I think sometimes people don't even realize there is a need for something in their life, or that there is a a, a thing that they can be using instead. How, what was kind of the best way to find stuff like this? I mean, the easiest way to do it is when you, when you search for a tool that does a thing, right? I, I need a program that does mind maps. And so you, you do search mind map and you just put the word in open, open source in there, put it in quotes. So it's, so the search engine knows I very much want that to be part of, of what my search is and it will return those sort of things to you. Also, you'll see websites like, um, alternative two, which is a site that helps you find alternatives to other programs. So if you have, 
you know, if, if you're looking for an alternative to Sony Vegas, for instance, yeah. um, you could type that in there and then you could say filter by open source and it will give you the results that are, that are limited to, to things that are actually open source tools. And, um, again, the other part of it, just like sort of to your point, search on YouTube. I mean, the search features that we've got now on, on the web are so robust at this point. If you, if you, um, just take advantage of those and, and include the term for, um, open source with whatever you're, you're looking for. You're going to find it. There are, there are actually literally Wikipedia articles that just list out open source tools and what they're paralleled, paralleled with. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, do you have a website or, or anything like that you want to share with people here? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I actually have a website and a podcast. Um, awesome. The, the, yeah, it's the I, I do I do use a slightly slightly higher bit rate than you do, but that's yeah. mostly just because I, I like the music that goes with it and I wanted it to sound nice. But yeah. <laughs> uh, my my podcast is the the Open Source Creative Podcast, and that's where um, I basically talk about uh, open source tools and and a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about here, but some of it in a little bit more detail. I actually this this might sound like a familiar story to you. I started recording this during my work commute. Um, <laughs> Uh, as, I, as I was driving to and from work, and uh, recently, because I haven't had to commute, I've I've been able to do more things like interviews and and those sort of things. And that's at opensourcecreative.org. Okay. Um, and then uh, my personal website, where you can see my work and other random things that I I make and create, because I tend to um, I, I as much as I love technology, I tend to also like to work in meat space and 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 make things with my hands and and those sort of things and so um monster java guns which is a it's an anagram for my name uh it's just easier to spell than jason van gumster okay. <laughs> uh monsterjavaguns.com is where it's basically my personal home base on the web where i um spew out nothingness into the world you know and i guess one thing we should say here at the end because you did mention security a couple times people do tend to be like you know uh, if this is not microsoft is it really secure whatever Every cryptocurrency on the market is open source. Absolutely. I mean, okay, I should say, every cryptocurrency I'm aware of, because somebody is going to somewhere find one that isn't, but every major cryptocurrency that I'm aware of is an open source software product. And if it, and was, if it was possible to, quote, unquote, hack Bitcoin, right, if that was actually something you could do, like where you could take Jason or Jack's Bitcoin away with a hack, it would have been done. Right. I mean, it, 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 in the end, it, it actually is. And a lot of the um, wallets are open source as well. They are. I mean, and that's, that's, it's, and you'll see Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin Cash is a fork of Bitcoin precisely right. because it's open source. And there's, there's a level of trust that goes there too, because you, if you're dealing with something that's, that's a cryptocurrency, right? You're dealing with something that is, that's supposed to be inherently secure. You want to be able to inspect it and ensure that it has some level of security to it, yeah. that it doesn't have any obvious vulnerabilities that, or, or backdoors or, yeah. you know, those sort of things built into it. And that there, there is a, there's a, that, that's the re, that is a big reason why Linux runs the backbone of so much of the internet now is not only because it was extensible, but because can be inspected, it can be verified, and it can, you know, at this point, be trusted. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, hey, man, I'll make sure I have links to your website, all your social media stuff, and more in today's episode. And Jason, man, thanks for being with us today on the Survival Podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. This was fun. I enjoyed it. So with that, we wrapped up the interview. Good talk there with Jason. Hope you guys got a lot out of it. I know I did. Before we uh, wrap up completely today, let me remind you that there's a couple ways you can support this show and the work that we do. The most important one you could possibly consider is becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade. If you've kicked that idea around and just haven't done it yet, let me explain to you the basic value proposition. Number one, you listen to this show, you probably like it, it probably value adds to your life, or you wouldn't take your time to listen to it frequently. If you do the math, joining the Members Brigade at $50 a year comes out to $0.18 cents an episode. So you can just look at it as, hey, I like what Jack does, I'm supporting Jack, and it's worth $0.18 cents an episode or I wouldn't listen to it. But I don't believe in that. That's kind of like PBS sending you a $2 coffee mug in return for a $100 donation. I don't do donations. I do value-for-value value exchange. So I always want to give more than I get. So what I did is I put together a list of vendors that I've set up with discount programs. And you get discounts to them. And they're not discounts you can just get every day or something. They are really discounts for my members only. 
You use those discounts over a year, and if you don't get your money back, you probably didn't try. And you probably did buy things you could have got discounts on if you would have used them. So it's a way that you can support me but get your money back. And for many people, they make a couple hundred dollars a year in discounts off a $50 membership. And that works out really well. To learn more, go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members there to learn how to sign up. Remember, not only do I take cash by PayPal or Stripe, um, I also take cryptocurrency. I take silver. Uh, I'm open to barter propositions and things like that as well. Uh, you can just reach out to me if you want to do something that's not available on the website and more of a barter arrangement. Uh, and next up, you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you go there, you'll help us out no matter what you buy, no matter what it is. I mean, that's all you got to do is take that one extra step and go to tspaz.com first. Once you do, though, you can see all the things I've reviewed and all the things I recommend. And you know if I reviewed it and recommended it, I bought it, I spent my money on it, and I'd do it again or it wouldn't be there. Um, there are over 300 items on T-SPAS. One of the 300 was given to me. One. Everything else was something that I found and bought individually for myself, evaluated it, and said, hey, hey, this is a good thing. Today's item of the day is one of those. It's called Zymox Pet Spray. This is a hydrocortisone spray. It also has some enzymes in it that are made from some different enzymes that come from milk. It is the best thing I have found for my dog, Charlie, who just walked in the office and laid down next to my feet where I can give him a pet with my foot while I'm talking to you. He gets some hot spots on his paws every year, and this stuff knocks it out cold. It really does. I've also used it on myself, believe it or not, and it has not made me have shiny fur or drool or drag my butt on the carpet or anything like that. It's... Uh, it's something that, again, I can't give medical advice. I can just say that if you read my write-up, there's been several injuries that I've experienced that using it worked really well. It's affordable. If you read the reviews on Amazon, you will see people with that are dog owners that literally, you know, one person wrote to the effect that they're basically had tears in their eyes for the relief it gave their animal. It is the best thing like it I have found. It's why I recommend it. Again, it's called Zymox. Uh, you can check it out. You can find it at tspaz.com. You can find it at thesurvivalpodcast.com. And if you were on the Daily Mail or the Telegram broadcast group, you would get everything I ever published without ever missing anything. Uh, the Telegram group is, or the Telegram channel is becoming really popular. Uh, Telegram channel, basically, if you use the Telegram app, it's like a texting app. And you can have groups, and you can talk to your friends, and you can make phone calls with it. And it's pretty cool. It's kind of like the native text app, but it's better, and it's private, and, and what have you. Um, the channel, though, is one way. So it's just me talking to you. You can't talk back to me on it. You can talk to me a bunch of ways. The reason people like it, though, is a lot of people don't want to be on a Telegram group with 200 people, freaking 300 people. I think it's actually like 600 people now, you know, talking back and forth all the time. It's just too much. But, you know, getting three or four texts a day from me saying, hey, here's this new thing, what have you, they like it. So you can do that or you can get on the Daily Mail. All of that helps us out. As long as I can stay in touch with you. Uh, it helps me to let you know what's going on, and that helps me overall. So I also just added a new page to the website called Get Social. If you check that out, you'll see all our newest uh, alternative social media options, including Telegram. With that, let's wrap things up, and uh, we're going to the song of the day, and I also deferred on the quote of the day, as I said at the beginning. And that's because the quote of the day fits the song of the day and the message that I wanted to bring together for you. So it's a country song, and it's a country artist with the quote of the day. At least that's who they gave it credit to at Brainy Quote. I'm not sure Garth Brooks should get credit for this. He's not the, not the uh, source of the song, though. Uh, but the quote of the day is, just keep taking chances and having fun. I think that might be a little bit predating of Garth Brooks. But Brainy Quote gave him credit for it, the graphic I use, so I'm giving him credit for it. And it really is going to fit in with my story about the song of the day. Remember, this week I'm doing all music that takes me back to a point in my life that I can say this is what was going on in my life or this is what this represents to me and it's it, it's you know somewhat personal in that way the song of the day is by Diamond Rio and it's called in a week or two and it's going to tie into the song of the day so when I start telling you the story I might not be going where you think that I'm going but I also share uh, a few lines out of the song of the day on social media today. And this is what I shared from this song. A little more time was all I needed, but somehow fall became spring. But put off to put off today, you can do tomorrow. Sometimes you don't do a thing. And that's where I'm going, but here's how the story works out. 
It was 1992. I had recently returned from Honduras back to Panama. And uh, I had some really good friends in my unit, and they decided they were going to spend a weekend up in a place called Cerro Azul. This is a beautiful place. It is is one of God's greatest creations. It is these glorious mountains of the continental divide that run through Central America. And even though you're in this tropical environment, when you're up in those mountains, it's 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 a much cooler climate, a much cooler temperature. It never freezes up there, but it actually, you know, you could put a long sleeve shirt on at night, that type of thing. And it looked a lot like home. I didn't really feel like going, though. It was a long weekend. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We had Friday off. And they kind of really put the squeeze to me to get me to go. And I was thinking, you know, I'll just stay and go to the bar tonight and... Saturday, I'll walk down to the beach. I was living near the beach at that point. I'll go fishing and go to the bar again and hang out in the room, maybe play some pool with some guys and just just chill and not really go up there and do this. And part of the reason why is I didn't want to be stuck without a choice. See, I didn't have a vehicle back then, so I'd have to ride with friends. I want a problem except that, well, if you're there, you're going to be there until Sunday afternoon when you come back. So I was going to be stuck up there camping, and that's not always a bad thing. I just didn't really want to. But my friends did what friends do, pushed and prodded a little bit and got me to go. Hauled, hauled ass in the back of this pickup truck down the Transistmus Highway, went up into these mountains. Last good 15, 20 miles of this drive was on dirt roads and hairpin turns and had a great weekend up there with my friends. I met a girl. Her name was Sabrina. She was uh, from National Guard. She was down there on her uh, training mission, and they had the weekend off, too, and we hit it off. We never really went anywhere uh, with that. I mean, she was only going to be there a couple weeks, and it just didn't make sense. But we kind of hit it off as people. We liked each other and uh, spent some time together that weekend. And then this song came on. And it had just gotten dark, and it had just cooled off. We had a bunch of trucks and cars up along this ridge line, and this ridge line was right over a coffee plantation that we were staying on. And uh, the reason we were on that plantation is one of my friends had a girlfriend whose father owned that plantation, and he was a really cool guy, and he had these sky rockets. So I'm dancing with this girl on the top of the Continental Divide in the middle of Central America, and everything is, and only lighting is coming from the, the parking lights on the vehicles, and this guy that owns the place is setting sky rockets off. And they seemed to be going off as though they were actually timed to the music, like as those heavy beats hit in this song. And it was one of the coolest and most romantic experiences of my life. And like I said, it never went anywhere. I think we did exchange a letter or two after that, but it was just kind of a, just a thing, just a weekend. But to this day, it's one of the greatest memories that I have. It's not some. It's one of those things you can't create that. And if you did and you pulled it off, it wouldn't be the same, at least for you, knowing that you're the one that created it. It just had to happen. But it all started on a Thursday afternoon with, come on, pussy, you need to come with us and get up here in the mountains with us and get the hell out of here for a while. No, I don't feel like it. Come on, don't be a bitch. Let's go. Let's go do something. Had I decided that I was going to put off today what could be done tomorrow, we went up there quite a bit, so I could have went a couple weeks later, then that would have never happened. My message for you today is take risks, take chances, go do things, seek adventure. Because if you put off till today what you can do tomorrow, you might never do it. Remember, always make the most of that dash. And with that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
It's all I needed Somehow fall became spring Put off today You can do tomorrow Sometimes you don't do the thing In a week or two I was gonna bring Yeah, no, we-